If you will, turn with me to Psalm 94 if you have not already. We will hear the word of the Lord together, and then we'll consider it together. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can the wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out. For their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we consider this psalm penned by the psalmist at the superintendence of your Holy Spirit. song, a hymn sung by Israel to your praise, given 
to the church in every age. That we might find consolation in the face of injustice in the fact that you are a God of vengeance and you are a God of grace. May your spirit speak through your word into the hearts and minds of us as your church. May your spirit speak through your word into the hearts and minds of those unbelievers who may be here present today. May you convict us of sin. May you cut us deep. And may you heal us with the balm of grace in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the day that our government enshrined the evil of homosexual marriage into the law of the land. Just after the Obergefell decision at the Supreme Court, the White House was lit up like a rainbow. I was appalled that our president and many of our populace celebrated what is a blatant rejection of God's created order and God's moral law. I remember the day that I sat in a boardroom as the Kern High board, I, I being a trustee at the time, voted to make transgender restrooms and locker rooms our local policy. I remember when we enshrined into our policy rules about the use of pronouns by staff and faculty for which they could be disciplined if they used the wrong pronoun. I thought surely when I went into that meeting that the board would vote against such clear insanity. What yesterday was so obvious to us all that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and a man is not a woman and a woman is not a man suddenly got muddy. I could tell when I walked into the meeting that I was going to lose the vote, most likely. I knew this was the case as our legal counsel informed the board that our insurance company would not cover the board in the case of a lawsuit if we failed to affirm transgenderism. I remember well addressing the board just before the vote. I told them um, these words, men, all of us were males, men, you may be concerned with the loss of position, you may be concerned with the loss of wealth in a lawsuit, you may be concerned with any number of legal consequences for doing the right thing. But I can tell you with certainty that your ultimate concern today must be that God sees and God knows and God will judge your actions here today. I lost that vote as those men cowered before the state rather than before the Lord. I remember when the New York State the state of New York passed the most radically pro-abortion law in the United States. They passed a law 
allowing women to abort a baby for any cause until the day of its birth. The pro-choice lobby and politicians which deceitfully, falsely claim that they want abortion to be safe and rare gave a standing ovation and shouts of joy. The governor of New York lit up One World Trade Center in pink to celebrate their victory that you could now murder a baby in their state to the day of its birth for any cause whatsoever. And this is the state that has New York City, its most populous city. Why do I point that out? Because according to the health department in New York, according to a report that the health department released in May, um, between 2012 and 2016, black mothers terminated 136,426 babies in New York City alone in that four-year period and gave birth to 118,127 babies. I don't know if you heard that. More black babies are being eliminated every year in New York City than are being born. Where were the civil rights leaders on this day? Where were the woke social justice warriors on this day? This is a kind of government-sponsored genocide of a generation of black people. You understand that nearly all abortion clinics are in areas where people are poor and where people are minorities, and that that's intentionally so. That was Margaret Sanger's, if you will, goal from the beginning. She stated quite publicly her desire to wipe out poor minorities. She was in favor of Hitler's eugenics, and she celebrated as a hero in this country. Where are the cries of systemic injustice on this issue? Listen, whether it's our nation's decision to enslave black people, to put Japanese people into internment camps, or to make horrific Supreme Court decisions like the Dred Scott decision or Roe v. Wade or Obergefell, we live in a land where great wickedness has been enshrined into law on more than one occasion. Yet startlingly, and in many regards, we are one of the most, catch this, one of the most just nations in history. But, but we are not without our share of evil acts. America, even this great nation, remains the kingdom of man. Injustice happens on these great shores. 
in the face of this, we might be tempted to wonder, does God see? Does God care? Will not the God of all the earth do right? What is our comfort in the face of such injustice? What is our hope in the face of such wickedness? I want to contend this morning that Psalm 94 provides us with two truths about God's character and promise that you can rely upon when you see wickedness prevail, when you see injustice winning the day. The first truth is this, that God is a God of holy vengeance. And the second truth is that God is a God of covenant grace. So I want to take each of those points in turn. First, God is a God of holy vengeance. Look at Psalm 94, 1 and 2. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. When's the last time you prayed that? This is a prayer. This is a song. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Come and do your worst. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. See, God is a God of holy wrath and vengeance. It's said about him numerous times in Scripture. I don't have time to cover them all. Deuteronomy 32 is quite clear. But look forward uh, briefly at Nahum. Nahum, minor prophet, you probably don't look at very often. But Nahum in chapter 1. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Nahum, if you're looking at the minor prophets, it's just after Micah. Very short book and just before Habakkuk. Nahum chapter 1. As the Lord speaks to the wicked city Nineveh, you guys remember Nineveh is also the city that Jonah was sent to to call to repentance. Later in their history, Nahum prophesies to Nineveh and tells them of their coming judgment. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. We live in a day 
in which we do not often reflect and meditate upon God's holy wrath and vengeance. We don't like to think about it. We avoid thinking about it. Yet we see this theme repeated throughout Scripture from the beginning. From the beginning. God warns Adam and Eve that if they sin, if they rebel against his holy will, against his covenant, and transgress his law, he will pay them back according to their deeds. He will judge them, and they will surely die. And he does judge them, doesn't he? When they eat from the fruit of the tree, he drops the curse on them. And as our representative, their curse is our curse. All of us face the daily consequences of God's righteous wrath that is presently being revealed as a foretaste of the wrath to come. His wrath is presently being revealed as a foretaste of what's to come. What am I referring to? Paul, in Romans 1.18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed, presently, right now, being revealed, against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he goes down on to say how they do that, and he goes on to say how God presently reveals his wrath. Three times, God turned them over to their sin. God gave them over to the impurity of their hearts. God turned them over to their sin. We see God's wrath presently in his turning us over to our sin and its destructive consequences. But that's just a foretaste as God's wrath is coming in an even greater sense. God will come to finally and fully destroy all evildoers. He will cut down his enemies with a sword from his mouth. He will gather them into the great winepress of his fury and he will stomp them until the blood covers his robes. That's a picture in Revelation 19. We're not just talking about the Old Testament. This is the God of the Bible. We see God's wrath day to day, but we will see it in the end when he casts his enemies into unquenchable fire. See, the Lord is not to be trifled with. He ought to be feared. The Lord of all the earth will come in vengeance. Now, I want you to catch this, saints, believers. His coming vengeance is one of our comforts. You might be surprised that I said God's vengeance is a comfort for his people. But look back at Psalm 94 and verse 3. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? Notice how the psalmist addresses the question of God's vengeance. He does not wonder if the Lord will bring justice. He wonders how long until the Lord brings his justice. 
And to whom is the Lord bringing his vengeance? The Lord is bringing his vengeance against the wicked. Who are the wicked? Look at verses 4 through 7 of Psalm 94. They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. The wicked are those who speak arrogantly about their sin. They boast in their lawlessness, in their foolishness. Who are the wicked? Verse 5, they crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. The wicked are those who persecute the people of God. They speak falsely and persecute God's people. Verse 6, they kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. In other words, the wicked are those who kill, take advantage of, harm the weak and the defenseless. The very people we ought to be protecting and to whom we ought to show mercy and compassion the wicked kill them, oppress them, take advantage of them. Verse 7, and they say, listen to what the wicked say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. The wicked are those who believe the Lord does not see. They believe he's either not present or he is too impotent or unwilling to do anything about their sin. Now we get a couple more details about the wicked in Psalm 94. Look down at verse 20. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? In other words, not just the wicked average person, but a wicked ruler. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute. In other words, the wicked are those who enshrine their injustice into the law of their nations. What Psalm 9420 is saying is that the, uh, the day, 1973, when the Supreme Court said that abortion shall be legal in every state in the land, that the Supreme Court showed itself to be the wicked. The wicked are those, look at verse 21, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. The wicked are those who condemn the innocent to death. Could he be much clearer? The psalmist? Sovereign grace since Roe v. Wade, there have been depending on the stats you look at, but I'll try to take some of the most conservative ones, nearly 61 million legal abortions in America. That means if you're in my age group or younger, one-third of your generation has been put to death. The most conservative estimates, this from the New York Times, not a bastion of pro-life thinking from the New York Times puts the number of abortions at 2,740 per day. 
That means there will have been nearly 200 children legally murdered during our worship service alone. Roughly 120 during my sermon. That's a travesty. It's an absolute horror. We have framed injustice by statute. We are putting the innocent to death. We are murdering the weakest among us. Somehow, many believe that the church speaking up on this issue is the church engaging in partisan politics, and that is nonsense. It's fundamentally untrue. The Christian church did not realize that abortion was wrong after 1973. It wasn't because of the movement of the moral majority or the Reagan revolution that the church came to this position. Pro-life beliefs are not just some policy on the platform of the Republican Party. The Christian church has unequivocally stood in opposition to abortion for millennia. In the first century A.D., the Didache, a quite popular manual among the church, decries abortion as a sin. That's the Christian church in the first century. That's not a political issue we came up with after 1973. The church has always, always opposed murder. Thus, the church has always, always opposed abortion. Abortion is and always has been the taking of innocent human life. We all know that a baby in the womb is a human baby. There is no honest, honest dispute over that biological fact. None. A baby in the womb is human. Genetically, it cannot be otherwise. Nobody buttons down the windows when a woman's giving birth, lest the bird fly out. We know what's coming out. It's a baby. A baby in the womb is human. A baby in the womb is a living human being. I remember a few decades ago when this biological fact was being disputed. We believed that, I remember then as part of the pro-life movement, even in the 90s, we believed that if everyone could just see the truth and admit that these are living human beings, then it would stop. It would stop if we just saw that. But we were wrong. What do I mean by that? We weren't wrong that these were human beings. We were wrong that once people realized that, it would stop. Nearly everyone recognizes this fact now, yet abortion remains, and the argument has just changed. Now the argument is that while they may be living human beings, they are not persons with the right to life until after they're born. And even then, under Virginia's new law, you can kill them after birth if the mother's intent was to abort them. 
Now the pro-abortion lobby wants to argue that it's not until after birth that a baby is a person and only persons deserve the right to life. Listen, that's incredibly arbitrary and evil. Every baby is also a person. A baby does not become a person at some point. A baby is a person. There are no human beings who are not human persons. From the moment of conception, a baby is a person. Abortion advocates argue that the baby does not have rights as a person for a variety of reasons. But they all boil down to this. Until the baby is outside the womb, at the choice of the mother, the baby is not a person and thus does not retain the right to live. Listen, if we're going to base personhood on the volition of a mother or on the basis of whoever retains power, where does that kind of tyranny stop? The whole argument allows the strong to oppress the weak, doesn't it? Whoever has power determines who has value. Why stop, what stops us really from deciding whether or not human beings are true persons based on other criteria? Why can't we decide their personhood based on skin color? We've tried that before. Why not on the basis of gender or religion or intelligence? Some people are making the argument that we should on the basis of intelligence. They're not persons if they're mentally handicapped in some way. Why not on the basis or, or level of financial success? Or maybe the elderly. We have a growingly elderly population. They will outnumber the young soon. We will not be able to fund them the same levels we currently fund them anymore within a couple of decades. You can almost hear the argument coming that they're not persons anymore. They're a drag on society. They ought to be eliminated. Listen, we know it's absurd. At least today we know it's absurd. I remind you, it was just a few years ago that we knew marriage between a man and a woman was absurd. I remember telling people in the 90s, the homosexual lobby means business, and they're going to fight until they get legalization of marriage between a man and a woman, and they're going to force you to agree with it or call you a bigot. And people in the 90s said, you are crazy. That will never happen. It was even a shorter duration ago that we all knew, as a matter of fact, that a man is not a woman, nor a woman a man. And yet now, if a man stood on the, sat on the news and proclaimed that, or a teacher states that in a classroom, that person might be in trouble. What kind of craziness is this? Bigots. You're a bigot for saying such an obvious thing. Listen, abortion is not the law of the land because unborn babies are less human. 
And abortion is not the law of the land because unborn babies are not persons. And abortion is not the law of the land because we're concerned about women's rights. Abortion is not the law of the land to protect women against rape and incest or because of some serious medical complications in pregnancies. First, no physician or judge or ethicist has ever challenged the need for medical help and relief in the face of serious medical complications of the pregnancy. None. Further, rape and incest make up no more than 1% of abortions in America. That's according to USA Today. Again, not a conservative pro-life publication. According to a 2004 study from the Pro-Abortion Guttmacher Institute, they did an abortion study for reasons for abortion in both 1987 and in 2004. There's talk that they're going to do another one now that a couple more decades have passed. Almost. They'll wait a few more years. Here's what they said. 25% of women seek abortion because the timing of of the pregnancy is wrong for them. Generally because of education or career. 23% seek an abortion because they just can't afford a baby right now. These are when they take all their... Now a lot of them cite several of these, but when they take them all and boil them down, the hard, absolute reason. 19%... 19% are mothers. 19% of women who seek abortion are mothers who don't want to have any more children. 8% are women who don't want to be single moms. That's in 2004. I imagine, given cultural trends, that number has climbed. 7% are women who feel too young. Or immature. Not too young or immature to have sex, but too young or immature to have children. We've divorced those two things in our culture to our shame. 7% said there may be a problem with their health, either psychological or physical, or the baby's health. 4% are women who believe it would interfere with their career plans, though... 74% of women said that was a major factor. 1% of women said their parents or husbands or baby's dad want them to get an abortion. Point, just under, 0.5%. That's a half a percent said they were raped. Just under. Abortion is not the law of the land because there was a massive problem with women dying from back alley abortions prior to Roe v. Wade. It's just a fiction. It's a fiction. According to the Center for Disease Control, published in the Washington Post just recently, in 1972, the year before Roe, 39 women died from illegal abortions. 24 women died from legal abortions. Did you catch that? 39 women died from illegal abortions the year before Roe. 24 women died that same year from legal abortions. 
This notion that Roe v. Wade has saved us from an era of tens of thousands of women dying from back alley abortions is just flatly untrue. It's just a fiction and a scare tactic politically and nothing more. It's a lie politicians and lobbyists tell you. Abortion is not the law of the land because the Constitution protects the right of mothers to kill their unborn children. You cannot find anything of the sort in the U.S. Constitution. The Roe decision was just pure judicial tyranny. It should have been opposed on every front. And don't think it's because the founders of our country or the framers of the Constitution were unaware that abortion is a thing. It's been a thing for thousands of years. Abortion is not the law of the land to protect unwanted children from a life as orphans. These people, listen, there are people in line to adopt, waiting months or years to adopt a baby. Frankly, we have several folks here in this church who adopt children and want to adopt more. I can say with 100% certainty that if you meet someone who does not want their baby, someone in this church does want that baby, give them to us. Bring them here. And I can say with even further certainty that there are several Christian churches in town that that is true of. So why then is abortion the law of the land? Well, ultimately, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Abortion is legal mainly because men and women want to participate in sexual immorality without consequence. They want sex without responsibility. Abortion is legal because the Supreme Court fails to know its place in our constitutional system. Abortion is legal because we have legislators who are either godless or cowardly. Abortion is legal because as our nation has suppressed the truth truth and unrighteousness, the Lord has turned us over to our sin. This is a terrible, terrible injustice. But in the face of such injustice, where do we find comfort? See, do we find comfort in the next presidential election or the next Supreme Court appointment? Hey, look, court appointments have largely been going the way of the pro-life movement lately. Under the current president, and if he's elected another term, it seems that he will have turned over most of the federal courts and the majority of the Supreme Court. Should we find our hope there? No. I mean, we may be granted temporary, albeit not unimportant, but temporary relief from one administration to another. We may be granted that. Listen, you live in California. So even the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, it'll still be legal in this state. We ought to be thankful for every victory of justice we see. But no matter how good our human government, there will always be some injustice, for it is ever the kingdom of man. So where is our hope and where is our comfort? Our comfort is found in God, 
our comfort is found in his all-seeing justice. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 94. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? Listen, the fool here is not someone who's intellectually stupid. The fool here is someone who's morally stupid. In other words, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Intellectually, they may be quite bright. They're dull because they're immoral. Not because they lack intellectual ability. He who planted the ear, and he created your ears and put them on your head. Does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge. How does he? The glory of God is proclaimed in the nations by common grace, by general revelation. Men know things. The Lord has taught them the true things they know. He that does that knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath or that they are futile. See, the psalmist is confident that God sees, God knows, and God righteously will judge Look at verse 23. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. In case you didn't understand what he just said, he repeats it. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. God will wipe them out. God will repay. He is the God of vengeance. And God's justice, God's wrath, God's vengeance is a consistent comfort for God's people. How so? In Romans 12 and verse 19, I want you to hear what Paul says. You don't need to turn there. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 19 as he talks about the persecution believers face, he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't avoid vengeance because God isn't vengeful. We avoid vengeance because God is vengeful. He will avenge, not us. That's why the kind of behavior where folks participate in um, blowing up abortion clinics or bringing harm to people who are involved in that is the kind of behavior we as Christians also abhor. The Bible not only commands us not to kill unborn babies, the Bible commands us not to kill the people who kill unborn babies. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He can carry out his vengeance by the sword of the state if he wants, Romans 13. But the bottom line is, God will bring vengeance. You don't. The state may, but ultimately only God, ultimately only God does. Listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. 
This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So there's Paul comforting the saints with God's vengeance. Here's my point, saints. When we see the travesty of justice that is abortion, when we see that a group like Planned Parenthood received more money this year under a Republican president and Senate than in any year in their history, over $600 million, taxpayer money, for the purpose of murdering babies, when we see that more states are becoming ever more radical in their abortion policies, when we see that America has some of the most radical abortion policies in the Western world, when we see that folks openly celebrate the murder of the unborn, and we we wonder how long, O Lord, how long we can be confident that the Lord knows The Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord will avenge. The cries of those babies may not be heard in Congress. The cries of those babies may not be heard in the White House or in the Supreme Court or in our state government. But every cry of every innocent baby being slaughtered in the womb is heard by the Lord our God. The Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord knows, the Lord will answer. He will judge the wicked. He will cause righteousness to spread across the earth. He will avenge. He will. That's a comfort to us. He will. Now you might rightly ask, well, we're sinners too, aren't we? Some women in here, at the encouragement of some men in here, may have had an abortion themselves. Those of you who haven't had an abortion have committed any number of rebellious acts and sins against God. Should we not also fear God's vengeance, God's righteous wrath. Yes, yes we should. If we are not God's people, then we are his enemies and we ought to fear his wrath. So then who are God's people? Well, God's people are all those who trust in Jesus Christ, who have been born again by the Spirit of God. Friends, that's why Jesus came 
he kept the law that we rebelled against. He went to the cross and bore the curse due to us. He swallowed God's vengeance against our sin. He drank every single drop of God's wrath for us. You see, while the blood of slaughtered babies cries out for vengeance, the blood of Christ cries out for peace and pardon and mercy and forgiveness. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. Your sin, no matter how vile, no matter how wicked, can exhaust even one drop. It cannot exhaust even one drop of the ocean of God's grace. Not even one. Jesus is our righteousness before God. If we look into him, look to him, we are forgiven our sins and counted as righteous in him. And if you are his people, if you're looking to Christ in faith and walking in repentance, then there is good news for you. You can find comfort in God's justice being poured out on Christ on your behalf. In our place, condemned he stood. Yet it's true, as God's people, we still have trouble in this world, don't we? As God's people, we still suffer under the hand of injustice, and we are comforted in this by God's vengeance against his enemies. Further, we're also comforted, secondly, and this point will be short, we're also comforted by his covenant grace. That's my second point this morning. God is a God of covenant grace. In other words, he's promised to be gracious to us and he has kept the promise, cutting that covenant in the blood of his own son. Look at Psalm 94 and verse 12. Blessed is the man. In other words, the blessed man is not under the curse or God's vengeance. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Why is that? Because the father disciplines his children, those whom he loves. And whom you teach out of your law to give him rest. Pay attention to these words. To give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, your hesed, your covenantal love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Look down at verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold 
and my God, the rock of my refuge. You hear these words? Verse 12, blessed. Verse 12, you teach us. Verse 13, rest. Verse 14, not forsaken. Verse 15, justice will return. Also verse 14, not abandoned. Verse 17, the Lord is my help. Verse 18, steadfast love held me up. Verse 19, your consolations. Verse 22, stronghold, rock of refuge, my God. Do you hear it? The Lord has promised, covenanted grace to you. He will fulfill it. He will give justice to his enemies and give grace to his people. Listen, that is God's pure kindness. We're rebellious sinners. We deserve no better than our neighbor. When a woman walks into an abortion clinic, blinded by her sin and rebellion... She is no more disobedient in that moment than you and I have been. I'm not saying that every sin is equal. We all know that there are weightier matters of the law. You know that if you steal a stick of gum, that is not as bad as if you shoot the cashier on the way out. We know that. My point is, though, that we have all sinned though in different ways. We have all rebelled against God. We have all shaken our fists at the creator and told him we know better than he does. All of us. And thus we all in our natural state, apart from Christ, are condemned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard against which we are measured, please hear this, the standard against which we are measured is not the wickedness of other men. The standard against which we are measured is the righteousness of our holy God. You might look great against the standard of the wickedness of some other man. But against the standard of the righteousness of our holy God, you are a wretched sinner. So am I. Thus we all ought to be wiped out for our wickedness. Every last one of us. Yet the Lord was kind to us. Why? Because of who he is. That's just who he is. He's kind. What are we to do with the kindness we know in Christ? We're to trust Jesus and declare this grace in Christ to others. Listen to Psalm 40 briefly. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what is said there. In verses 4 and 5 from David, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. The Lord has multiplied his wondrous deeds. That's speaking of his mighty saving works and his thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. You see, God's mighty works and 
thoughts toward you for good are more than you can even speak about. I will tell of them, but it's more than I can even tell. It's greater than the best news I can tell my neighbor. It's beyond my ability to even articulate how good God's grace is to me. We tell our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our neighbors about Christ. That's what we do. We tell them. We tell them. We trust him and we tell others. Now some of you may want to help more actively, be more actively engaged in anti-abortion efforts. There's a ministry that was started in our church that has a table out in the lobby called Arcs of Bullrushes. Your, um, they go to the two abortion clinics in Bakersfield. There's, there's, there's now, just, just as a result of the new governor election in Kentucky, now a second abortion clinic in the entire state of Kentucky. They had one until this new governor came in, and now they have two. Bakersfield alone has two. They go to those clinics. They preach the gospel. They try to encourage women to reconsider. Every woman who rethinks her decision is a baby's life that has been saved. Every woman who looks to the Lord is a soul that's been saved eternally. You can help them. They need more help. They have a table out there if you want to get information. There's also what in town what's called the Bakersfield Pregnancy Center. They need volunteers. They need support. They provide help for women to keep them from aborting their children as well. They provide ultrasounds, um, medical help. You can help them. There's the one political sort of educational group in town is Right to Life of Kern County. Um, they educate legislators, and I think more importantly, they're trying to get on high school campuses and educate high school students and college and get on college campuses and educate college students. You can engage with them. Further, you can adopt children. You can be an informed voter. But above all else, you, pro- you can proclaim the gospel and you can pray. You can pray. We must plead with the Lord to end this wicked atrocity. We are God's people and we must cry out together with the psalmist, O God of vengeance shine forth. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful for your son. We are thankful that he took the cup of wrath and drank it to the dregs. The wrath due to us was taken by him. We are thankful that we are saved in him. We pray that you would help us. Help us to look to Christ, to trust him, and to tell the good news to others. We know we're limited in our ability to articulate that, Lord. It's far better than we can even tell. Cause us to be faithful to that, though that many might know Christ. We pray as well, God of vengeance, that you would shine forth. We pray, O God, judge of all the earth. 
that you would do right. Rise up even now in this country and end this sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.